1: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com host
0: i was gonna start us off by asking what you could tell me about the travis and steve act
3: whoa <laughs> 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 Well, we, me and Mark do another band called the Mark and Christian Band, but we also make little comedy videos every now and then, and I think in, in, in this particular video, we, we were referring to each other as Travis and Steve, so we yeah. <laughs> just kind of, I guess they were just names we thought of really quickly, and we just, I guess we just called it that.
1: People, people love Damien now, don't they? Yeah. They're always asking how he's doing. When was the
0: last time Damien made an appearance?
1: Um, it's before he went to prison, I think
3: he's he's out of prison now <laughs> he, oh, okay <laughs>
1: he died were you gonna say he
3: died <laughs> he died of no <laughs>
2: yeah. it's been a while since we've made one, but it's only because like again, like we've spent most of this year like hiding away from each other, so when things are relaxed, uh, you know we'd be wanting to make more
3: Damien in lockdown would be great yeah, we should do that we were going to make a documentary about Damien. Like, his dad was Dracula or something.
2: Yeah, we were going to go really, like, in-depth with his storyline before.
3: Map out the full backstory. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Did you... When did you kind of start off doing the wee sketch things? Was that stuff you used to do in school, or how far back did you kind of get into that?
2: We, Me and Christian used to skate together years ago, and, like, I would always have, like, a digital camera. We started making stupid videos back then. It's just accumulated to, like, quite a few ridiculous videos where... And then, you know, like... We had the VHS camera from music videos, so I don't know, it's, it's, it's a weird one really, it's not really like the other stuff we've done, It's it was just one of those days where we just had an idea, did it and put it out and that's about as much as we thought about it, you know.
0: Was that VHS camera, is that the same one that you used for a couple of the music videos on this new Witches record, the ones with the puppets?
2: Yeah, it is actually, because I've had a few, some of the early music videos I had this, um, it was like a like a reporter's. you know a vhs reporter's camera so like back in the day it would have been like quite expensive but you know now you can get them for like a couple of hundred pound but this one that i did for the music video recently is just like a sort of 50 pound sort of you know handheld vhs camera kind of cheap
0: it's got like kind of nice aesthetic to it doesn't it though the kind of gritty grimy type thing going on
2: yeah exactly and like it's kind of weird how you know when you when you convert it to digital and you just sort of tweak, with the, tweak the colors a little bit, because obviously VHS colors can be a bit sickly, especially like the the sort of stereotype VHS colors, you know, like really like green and pinks and stuff like that. But if you make it black and white, it just looks like film.
0: You get that stuff, that kind of noisy effect, don't
2: you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've done it a few times where it genuinely looks like film. So, you know, I quite like that. Um, that's why I kind of black and white at the moment.
0: Where did uh, where did the puppets come from as well? Where did the idea kind of start to germinate for them to be involved?
3: Just thinking about a, a simple idea, and I think I just said puppets, and then we we found some on on eBay. They were really difficult to use the the string puppets. One of them was a hand puppet. I think that that was kind of they kind of saved video because the. The movement was really limited with the string puppets. They'd just kind of like flapping their wrists around. And that's about <laughs> all I could do with it. And I think one of them I could make his knee jerk a bit.
2: I <laughs> forgot to mention that, like, they were really tangled when we got them as well. Oh, right? yeah,
3: gosh. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they just came all completely tangled together. We spent. Well, I... did you untangle them, Mark?
2: Oh, uh, no, um, uh, my friend's girlfriend tried to do it and untangled one, but yeah, there, it was just a mess and, and none of us have like any, <laughs> like none of us have puppeteered before ever.
3: Yeah. Then we started making all these little props, you know, that I think the, the main idea was just to make a, a set in itself, just so it, the video would look nothing like our other videos, you know, that there would be no sort of real life backdrop or, or. Scenario going on, it would all just be filmed inside a a little set that we made ourselves. And well, you filmed it on the iPhone, Mark, didn't you? And then it it sort of the because we painted the whole set and it it looked almost a bit like the Simpsons set or something. And then the colors weren't right
2: on the camera, it just um, the consistency of the color. I don't know, I don't know what it was about it, but like when I'd started editing it like that, it looked bad. So I went through like a long way of doing it and. I filmed it on VHS and I filmed it off the screen and then back into the VHS, then through the viewfinder. It took forever. Like It genuinely took me like two weeks to edit that one.
0: Have you still got all the puppets and sets and stuff?
2: Yeah. You
3: broke the set up, didn't you, the recently?
2: The set's broken up. We've got the um, cardboard uh, pieces still.
3: All the furniture. And
2: the, yeah, the dolls are still in my... Um, in my shed
0: i like the idea of you telling someone to go in and get a shovel or something when they're over at help with a garden and they open it <laughs> up and there's just two dolls sitting looking at them <laughs> oh
2: no no my uh i say it's a shed it's more of like a cabin you know it's like uh it's, it's decked out it's got like a sofa in there music system and all that
0: that's kind of creepier <laughs> <laughs> inviting people over to listen to a bit of music and they just go in the there's two puppets sitting in there <laughs> staring back
3: glassy eyed
2: oh yeah it's true
3: have you still got uh Damien's mask as well? Yeah, there's a yeah. few Damien masks now because it's it's a it's this real standard skeleton mask. I feel like I even had one when I was a kid this actual ske- and you just turn it inside out and that makes this kind of fleshy sort of almost looks like skin that's just sort of yeah melting off. Yeah.
2: No one no one would know how to recreate unless they knew the exact one, you know.
1: We should put them on merch. On the yeah. Merch table.
2: Yeah, <laughs> flip them inside out and sell them for like a tenner.
3: Yeah, bowls yeah. and b- bleach. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's, uh, what's the strangest thing you've acquired from your time in The Witches then? If you've kind of got these interesting objects kicking about, or props rather.
2: We have a lot of props. I, I mean, I every time we do a music video, I, I sort of hoard the props because like, just presume, it. you know, me- one day in the future, maybe people want to see them, but I'm not sure. I can't think of one thing that's, really that weird is there
1: anything cool on the road for judah one i feel like there probably would have been
2: yeah i've got like the crown that you wore and like the green wig that sam had on yeah bits and bobs but nothing that strange like we haven't done a video <laughs> that weird really it's just sort of
3: i mean the the strangest thing i've acquired just from being in the witches is is a a marshall treadmaster guitar pedal you know which is a real rocking distortion pedal but it was owned by our manager Julian in his and used in his time in top loader, <laughs> which I find <laughs> I find that funny because you know I've I've only ever seen the Shredmaster used you know on like real face melting stuff and then Metal stuff. I think it <laughs> might have even been on Dancing in the Moonlight. So I've got oh, that look at shredding that. in the moonlight, shredding in the moonlight. So I have that. That's probably the
2: I do remember the the when we did the seaside music video we had like a quite a big budget for like um outfits didn't we so we went to like a fancy dress shop and we bought like the best capes there and they were like 50 pound a cape (laughs) do you remember (laughs) i've still got all of those i've got like four like really fancy capes
1: (laughs) we always said we'd do a show everyone wearing them but we never did
2: no i know we yeah yeah i got
3: that silver suit as well that was that was fun walking around in that.
1: Oh yeah, you had the silvery one, didn't you?
3: Yeah, I think maybe oh, it was yeah. like gold sparkle or silver sparkle. Yeah.
2: Did you rent that, didn't you? Yeah, it was
3: just a rental, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd be wearing <laughs> it every That's
2: day. I it's just showbiz, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: do you do you tend to kinda of hold on to stuff in life or are you quite ruthless when it comes to clearing stuff
1: out?
2: Oh, uh, I hoard everything.
3: Yeah, same. I I hoard stuff but I'm
1: really i live in quite a small flat um so i really try not to and i i'm always throwing things out but it just never seems like there's any space
3: you know what i mean yeah exactly i know what you mean i keep weird things like i found a, a, a like a crushed up can of coke on the floor and it was from the olympics 1988 and i i've got that in like a and you gotta keep that <laughs> i remember <laughs> when you found that yeah i've got this weird like It's like a weird picnic box, like where it would have had, you know. You open it up, and it's it'd have like plates and forks and stuff, and it's just got like packets of Walkers crisps. From (laughs) (laughs) I found, I
1: bet you watch those videos where the guy opens the cans from the war, don't you?
2: Oh god, I love I love those videos. Yeah. Oh Dan, you'd literally just like. He talks about that guy all the time. Really, <laughs>
1: yeah. oh, my Caro, my girlfriend, um, watches those all the time as well.
3: Yeah, I think me and Carolina have a really similar YouTube interest. Yeah, I think the, you do. The abandoned
1: places. As yeah,
3: well. there's Steve 1989. Then, then there's this other guy who I've I've only seen a few of them, but he'll he's like popping popcorn from from like 1955 or something. And
2: yeah, that's sketchy, man. Like, I'm really weird with like old food and old drinks. Yeah. Yeah. And like, to know that, like, I I watched some guy was eating like, was it like 70-year-old canned beef or something? Mm. It was fucking gross. That's how
0: a horror movie starts. You think you're just popping some popcorn for the 50s, but then it's got a bit of the blob in it. I I mean, that kind of ties a little bit into this record in terms of the kind of ghostly, slightly horror-inflected imagery that you have kind of as a motif throughout a lot of the songs does that kind of come from an affection for like Edgar Allan Poe type stuff and this kind of classical horror literature or where is that kind of coming from
3: well yes yeah, i suppose more my, my mum's a big uh horror film fan and so yeah i suppose it comes more from the the film side of things like my my interest in it she had this um vhs with halloween 1 and 2 on it and i, I probably watched that when i was you know really young one or two and it was a uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's where mine started. I know that Dan and Mark, well, it's just kind of a coincidence that we're all into the horror thing.
2: I think, like, most people like horror, don't they? But, you know, there's there's always the exception that some people sort of delve a little bit deeper and find the, uh, I don't know, maybe, like, cult horror movies yeah. or, like... I mean, we all, we all like the old horrors anyway, like 70s and 80s horrors.
0: Like the the John Carpenter type stuff?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like Chainsaw Massacre is one of my favourites. The original, obviously.
0: How old were you when you first kind of saw this stuff?
3: Oh, God, I don't know. I remember at my nan's, my mum used to leave... Well, we we had just like a little stack of VHS tapes and the same like four or five were there for as long as I could remember. And one of them was Jumanji, so I guess it was Mm -hmm. probably when i was literally a baby a toddler is probably when i first started getting into or just you know i found it really appealing yeah, there's something about
1: there's something about it when you're young it scares you but it also draws you back you want to see it you'll see more of it it's really curious sort of
2: more, yeah i remember watching the, um, nightmare on elm street the oh first yeah one. yeah like i i watched that when um me and my uh friend we were really young and and for some reason, like, he wasn't allowed to watch horror movies, so he had to sneak in, like, you know, take one from their, like, stash of, you know, films. And we'd end up putting them on and then regretting it, but also kind of not, you know, like, switching it off <laughs> yeah, a little bit yeah. and then, like, wait half an hour and then we'll watch the rest. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that was good.
1: I remember seeing this really uh, short animated film called The Sandman when I was really young. It's kind of like... Same sort of style animation as um, the Tim, early Tim Burton stuff. And it's about this um, man in the moon who comes down and um, eats this kid's eyes and feeds them to his children in the moon. Oh. Because and, and, the kid's not sleeping. So he comes and I think it's like a myth anyway, like, but they just made this movie out of it. It's on YouTube. You should, you should watch it.
0: They've always got that kind of Aesop's Fables thing at the centre of them as well, don't they? Mm. That kind of message, like trying to get yeah. kids to go to sleep or whatever. Yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: But that freaked me out when I was young. In a good way.
2: Can I just say, how is E.T. not a horror movie? Yeah. <laughs> like, E.T. scared the crap out of me when I was younger. <laughs> it's so eerie. It's so creepy that, oh, I can't. I mean,
0: you mentioned Jumanji as well. That's got, like, a kid turning into a monkey and shit. Oh, yeah. That's, like, pretty freaky when That's you're, like, true, yeah. six
3: years old. Yeah, it's really creepy, that scene where they're, like, trying to figure out where that sound's coming from. They go into, like, the bathroom and robin williams is there all jungled up <laughs> 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 i think yeah, he's shaving like, yeah. yeah oh such a good film
2: i was really disappointed with the cartoon though that came after it do you remember that
3: oh yeah it was in that sort of wild thornberry style wasn't it yeah it was yeah,
2: yeah. I, I didn't like that I've...
3: to come
0: to come back to that you were mentioning the sandman there yeah You were speaking about that idea of them having a message, some of these things you know, kind of having a message at the heart of it that translates to children, when it comes to your songs and we're speaking about the ghostly imagery, is it important for you to kind of have a message or something at the center of the song, or what is it you're latching onto that you're then kind of that imagery is coming out from
3: with me it' it's, it's just imagery itself that is what I'm trying to get across i I, I mean I've definitely written songs that have a message or or just a meaning, something <clears throat> inspired by you know something like pretty directly, but with the witches stuff, it, it is it is always more about setting a an atmosphere, and then I suppose when I listen to lyrics, I, I you know I I won't claim to sort of oh that's what that's about, and you know then I move on. I I kind of interpret things in my own way and and. I suppose I'm trying to do that with witches' lyrics as well. And yeah, imagery is really important because I think it then kind of impacts on the music and then the music impacts on the lyrics. And so, yeah, they're, they're never really. Um, some songs have a a, quite a kind of direct message, but for the most part with the witches, it is sort of just creating an atmosphere.
0: So, like, Dan and Mark, is that what you're latching on to? When you hear those lyrics, is that what you're kind of using to construct the other parts around them? Are you looking for that kind of atmosphere and that feeling? Or how are you writing parts that then complement the overall feeling of the track?
2: I never really know about the lyrics until we finish the song anyway. Like, you know, musically, it's always done before Christian does the vocals.
1: Yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah. So it's not like, so we're not really crafting around his his vocals at all. You know, most of the time we, like, I won't hear it until we've recorded it. Or, you know, I mean, you'll, you'll sing a bit when we're, you know, write in the song or whatever, but I don't think even you have, like, the lyrics fully down at that point.
3: Mm. Some, yeah, m- most of the time they're not finished until it's time to record them. And then other more kind of straightforward song songy songs are usually done, but then I probably won't sing them until we record because I'll get embarrassed or something. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, the way I see it is like, you know, when you when you go to draw something, especially like if you're going to try and draw something abstract, you just start with a blank page and you just draw and keep drawing and then see what happens. It's never like you plan it out, you know.
1: That's what's so good about being in or being in the same room together because you, you don't, we don't really plan anything, do we? When we're jamming.
2: No, I mean, sometimes you don't even plan.
1: Someone to prick your ear up and be like, oh, that's good.
2: Yeah, you know, yeah, one idea then... will just turn into a whole song. Like, uh, Three Mile Ditch on the album was just um, one of those things where we were practising for recording of the third album and then ended up just wanting to throw one extra in there and just wrote it
3: on the day. Yeah, it was it the the riff was kind of an old thing. but then Yeah, we, that existed before, didn't it? Yeah, we always had a problem with trying to write that riff into anything, but then we just sim- simplified it and got it in there. Probably one of the most sinister moments on the record. Yeah. That kind of rift <laughs> it opens on. <laughs> yes, it's that yeah, and and I think the drop A tune in as well kind of just really brings it down.
1: Yeah, it's really it does make it sound sinister when especially when you play it um clean in the um you play the drop A clean in these at the start. I think that sounds great. I mean that's one of the things that, that it's kind of at the heart of the record is
0: this the way that it ebbs and flows through light and darkness. What you're saying about how the lyrics kind of get added on afterwards, is that light and darkness and the kind of ratio of it on the record something that's very much then set and starts to form when you're constructing the songs and that kind of soundscape and that musical environment in the room together? Is that where that first kind of starts to take shape and does it become quite solidified in that setting?
3: Well, I I would say actually the the kind of softer tracks, they're the ones where I I would have had all the lyrics ready sort of thing Um, because they're the ones that I suppose start out as just a you know a guitar and vocal thing and then it's always the ones where there's a lot kind of going on when the vocals are happening which which are the ones i have to kind of take back and and um and like work on from home but i think that's sort of my favorite part about the witches is is that we i think it's been a bit detrimental at times for us but the fact that we have real heavy tracks and then we'll just throw in some soft ones I, I i that's kind of my favorite thing about the band it's like you could bring in any style of song and and we wouldn't sort of dismiss it immediately you know because we just kind of go through we just vary through genres and stuff i'm not sure if i answered your question there. <laughs> i just <laughs> went off on one a bit <laughs> what, what you were saying though about how the softer
0: ones tend to be written outside of the room and the lyrics are kind of considered before you start to work on the soundscape side of it, are they more of a stream of consciousness than the ones where you're kind of trying to work
3: top of it? It's weird. I suppose in, in a way they are, I guess like a lot of songwriters, it you just kind of making sa- sounds that sound a bit like words and then as you're kind of going through it, you you start realising that you are actually saying words and then you start realising that those words are actually do actually mean something or they're relevant to you at the time and then I kind of will usually start writing the lyrics based off of one kind of lyric that I just started singing out of nowhere and the rest will I guess I kind of take something from that lyric and then kind of base the song off of that yeah so I guess it is a bit of a stream of consciousness really
0: how does that operate for something like you looked happy to me you know the closer on the record when it's one that's kind of going through the soft side and the heavy side of the group
3: i demoed that quite a few years ago and i think that chorus just got kind of heavy i think i was probably just feeling it and just wanted to keep getting louder with it and and then it felt like it it should just kind of blast off into something else and and then cuz i mean that that was something we used to do quite a lot is is we would you know, if if we were working on something soft, it it, it would always have this big grand ending because it just kind of felt felt good to do in in the in the rehearsal room. And I suppose that's what I was saying earlier about like that's my favorite part about this band of the the soft stuff doesn't really get dismissed. You know, we kind of work around it, and and it will always still have that identity. And yeah, I think a lot of the time we we would sort of when we had one of these softer things, it, it would just kind of get more intense. And I suppose, yeah, it comes from that. I mean, we have quite a few songs from from our earlier stuff that they all did that, you know, if they were kind of more pop or acoustic-driven things, they would always kind of blast off at the end into this, you know, epic thing.
0: I mean, yeah, again, like the closet to this one where you kind of, you start off on the bright note, and then before you know, it, it's kind of morphing into this thing that's kind of pummeling you with this big kind of heavy thrashing instrumentation. Do you do you see the the closing to the album as kind of open ended or more of a resolution to what's kind of come before it?
3: I think it is kind of. I, I almost think it's a bit of both. Yes, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. I w- I wouldn't say it resolves anything. I'm not even sure we all agreed that that was going to be the last song. I think it was maybe just in the list of mixes. It was like the last one mixed or something, and it, and it just kind of came it does, as the It as does the feel ender. right, I can end yeah. it. Yeah. I think as well we definitely didn't want to end it on a, on a, a purely soft song. You know, I think we've done that on all the albums. I think we, we all definitely wanted to end it on, a, on something rocking.
0: It's almost a little bit like an epilogue. In some ways, because it definitely feels like it's kind of looking back and reflecting upon an experience, but it's almost from a perspective that's slightly removed from it, if that makes sense. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's got a kind of like a closing credits feel to it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you, when you're writing a song like that, do you have a specific person in your mind or is it written about more of a collection of experiences and the kind of feelings that come from them?
3: Yeah, this one's definitely a collection of, of experiences. With myself and with other people definitely does that change your approach to it when it's kind of
0: trying to tackle a spread of things as opposed to the one specific event
3: yeah i mean whenever I have written a song about a one specific person i I would never have the the guts to put it out because it would be too obvious so i, I kind of i have to <laughs> i have to um I have to vary it you know throw in a few other pe- drag a few other people into it
0: what sort of uh Shape was that song, and when you took it into the studio, where was it kind of at in terms of the demo stage compared to what it
3: became? It was strange really because um I'd written it in a in a drop tune in, and um they were sort of you know like not real chords, just just these weird chords with all these kind of ringing notes that none of the guitars that well, I bought two guitars to the studio and and neither of them. Uh, would handle this drop tuning and I think every time we demoed it it could never really handle it one of the notes was just like kept phasing in and out of tune and and, um, so at the last minute um, we just thought well I I just kind of figured out what the most basic version of those chords were and then um, just switched it out with that just so that the guitar would stay in tune and then when the riff comes in it's back to like that original drop tuning and that song was like really frustrating i think at one point we all just hated that song and just could never really get it right but then i mean mark you always talk about just simplifying things and i think probably i took that approach and just wanted to simplify it
1: that chord made it sound a lot lighter as well. So yeah. uh, with, the, with the contrast of the, the, the heavier, angrier bit at the end. Yeah. I think that really made, it gave the song something.
0: Yeah, just a little bit of brightness. Yeah. yeah. Is it sometimes almost harder to make something simpler than more complicated?
3: I suppose, yeah. Um- I
2: think it is for you, Christian. Like, when, even when we're writing um, Mark and Christian band stuff, you know, we'll, we'll have like a general idea of a song and you're always trying, just keep keep trying and trying to add like more interesting chords, you know. And and I guess like it's always fine to do that, but sometimes sometimes it can be fine to Like we've done simple, simple songs that we're quite happy with, you know.
3: Yeah, it's definitely an achievement to be able to write a nice melody around, um, you know, like the basic C and G sort of thing. Definitely- yeah,
2: it depends how simple. I think if I think if you're making a simple song then you need to look into like making it interesting in other ways, like obviously a nice melody, but you can also, I I think also, I think, yeah, recording is important. Sometimes I hate to use the word vibe, but you know, sometimes you just hear something and it's not, it's not necessarily, uh, you know intricate or anything like that but it just has a nice vibe to it something warming about it that you just really like
0: yeah just a particular feeling about it that kind of resonates with you
2: yeah yeah there's no real reason for why it's why it makes you feel that way and there's not really that much going on but it's i get that because like if, if i listen to a really standard song but it's also recorded so crisp and fine and It's just, I don't know, it just seems a bit soulless. It's
0: almost a slight lack of restraint, isn't it? Like people have to go all the way and try and get it as close to perfection as possible.
2: Yeah, it is. And perfection is just, I just don't think it's necessary at all. You know, If you just capture the song as you're hearing it, it just seems a bit unnecessary to smoothing it out and make it as perfect as possible.
3: Yeah,
0: it's about finding that balance in between. Where you're kind of tightening it up so the song can be improving it where needs be but not improving it so much that it becomes soulless
2: yeah i I mean like definitely be in time and stuff like that um you know no one really likes songs that are out of time but like you know i i listen to a lot of bands that um they also you know they they well most of them anyway they self-record themselves but like um i listen to this band called giant sand and there's there's always like mistakes in there, but they don't care. They leave it in, you know, it doesn't, when you listen to it, it doesn't make you think, it doesn't make you think, oh God, I can't listen to that song again. It just like, just shows, you know, that people are human. They make mistakes. And if you've been recording it all day and you make one mistake, but the rest of the take's fine, then just leave, you know, put it out. It's totally fine.
0: How do you, how do you know when you're in the studio or how do you kind of maintain that perspective so that you can make that judgment? As in not cleaning it up and making it too perfect and leaving enough room for the personality to come through, but also not leaving it too unvarnished. How do you kind of find that happy middle ground when you're there?
3: I think usually base it off the first time you're hearing it back. And if you're not hearing anything wrong with it, even though there are sort of like two moments or a few moments where things are like drifting off time or strings kind of out of tune if if on the first listen your your main reaction is just you know to be quite pleased about it i think that's when you know it it doesn't need like mark said you just there's some songs would just have this this atmosphere that that i don't know it's just right for the song it was captured in in the right way and
1: it's good to have like the engineer there as well luke to to have the outside ear on it if there is something that we do need, if we do need to do it again and we haven't heard it, he, he like, he's not forceful about it. He'll, he'll just let us know. And then we can decide whether to do it again or not.
2: Yeah. And it's like, um, I read this review. Well, it was, a. A YouTube reviewer, and he was saying how it was it was tight, but it wasn't too tight. And I think that just comes down yeah. to, um, I think it just comes down to the fact that we're not like in- incredible musicians, like we, we uh, speak for yourself. Well, you know what I mean. We're not like um, we're not like professional. Oh, well, yeah. We're, we're professionals, mean. of course. Uh, shit, but we do don't take it,
1: it to the point of like a lot of bands now. W- their their producers will go and cut everything up and make make it perfect so maybe that's why it sounds so different i, think, I
3: don't know i think as well like cuz yeah cuz we are you know none of us are sort of like shred masters we we just um i think as well people respond to to that you know just natural feel you know that it hasn't been tampered with you know with using software or whatever i think i think people respond to that raw feeling and um I th- I think as well, like, you know, there's a, it's always such a nice feeling when you listen to a song or like a whole album that you really enjoy, and and it really doesn't sound like it took a mastermind to 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 put it down. You know, it, it sounds it sounds doable, and and that inspires you to, to yeah,
1: inspires people to go
3: and make their own music. And
2: yeah, not stuff. everyone can you know record an album that sounds as good as Dark Side of the Moon, but <laughs> you know, that's just they just set a complete different bar there, didn't they? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, but we still, you know, we 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 quite like um, lo-fi music anyway. So, it if it does if it doesn't sound, you know, we just like it sounding big. Like when you want it, when you listen to it through speakers, you want it to sound great. You know, you want to hear the bass, and you know, doing it yourself sometimes, I guess, like y- you could be lacking in certain areas.
0: I mean that said though it does still sound like you know guys in a room together. You don't lose sight of that.
3: Yeah, we. I, I mean we, we we tracked a lot of it, but I I guess because for the most part there was at least two of us playing at the same time. It, it kept that energy up. I think we we used to well before we'd probably be quite scared about the idea of of tracking it because you know we'd sort of always seen the band as this kind of like clash of of. Not well, not a clap, but you know, like a, everything just kind of molds together. And you know, if you were to solo my guitar, it would sound like a monkey playing a guitar. And then, you know, same with Dan and mine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but um, no, I, I think, yeah, maybe before we 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 might have been a bit it might have seemed a bit daunting to to track everything, and we'd probably all think that it was going to come out sounding like overproduced or something. But I think the fact that there was at least, I think a few, well, Three Mile Ditch, um, Mark played drums for that one and and then me and Dan were playing our bits. And so that that one was able to be done um, as a live band. But I think for the fact that at least two of us were playing at the same time, it kind of kept that um, live feeling. Three Mile Ditch, does
0: that refer to a particular stretch of time for you as well?
3: Well, me and Mark are from the same... Little village, and that's how. Well, it's it's quite a big place, but that's how we know each other. It's just village called Yaxley, and at one point I moved to this other place, this real secluded kind of just this horrible little village that had no nothing there. No, it's
2: (laughs) really pleasant. It was a really
3: nice little village. (laughs) It's a really nice village, but just far away but if you if you don't drive like me it, it, it's 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 a real
2: it was desolate weren't it yeah you know, it's, there's not much there there wasn't even a post office there was like a, a a post office van that would come around every like two or three days so then you yeah you know that's how dire it was but yeah but
1: you did have a you did have um uh what's his name that lives there
3: oh warwick davies lives there warwick davies yeah
2: lives
3: there. yeah <laughs> and um i would walk to to Yaxley where Mark lived to go hang out and um, separating those two villages was uh, like a big long road with a and you would walk along the ditch to to get to Mark's and it's where I used to think about a lot of lyrics or I had been writing and recording that day and and then kind of later on in the day i I would walk over to go see mark and i'd be thinking about what i'd just written or i'd be listening to like a quick demo that i'd made and i was i think a lot of the lyrics for the album i i was thinking about um doing that walk so I i think it was just a kind of well especially i referred to it in in the song silver trees and and i'd written that song quite a long time ago and yeah, we, that it referred to to that um, that road and that sort of distance, and and so it just kind of sounded cool for a title, and it it, it had some meaning to it. I mean, the, yes, because a lot of the titles to our songs just or you know don't really mean anything. So it was you know it was nice to for there to actually be some kind of meaning to it.
0: <laughs> that said, that a lot of the titles seem to evoke quite a strong image. Like if you think about something like Meat Chunk or Cowboy or Midnight Ride, like they've all got quite a specific kind of feeling in place. Yeah. Attached to them, if you know what I mean.
3: Yeah, I guess maybe I'm referring to like our oldest stuff, like Grave Dweller and stuff. You know, they're just kind of just designed to sound creepy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, if they have a slightly, if some of them on this new record then have more of a meaning attached to them, did they? At what point in the process did they merge? At a different point in the process to what they maybe did previously, the titles of songs.
3: Yeah, um, I suppose yeah, they're they're, they're always just taken from um, like a, ly- a lyric in the album. But I mean, lyrics in general are kind of strange for me because you know before I was uh, a, you know, a guitar player or anything, I I wasn't like a writer. I wasn't keeping journals or things like that um so writing lyrics is, is kind of strange you know you you you're just a guy trying to like make some s- songs and then suddenly you have to be kind of real quick and clever with words and
2: yeah people like analyzing your words
3: yeah so <laughs> like I, they mean everything you know it, yeah
2: but you're just sort of you know you were young then you know
3: yes yeah, um, so I, that i think that's what i mean about the songs you know just trying to get some imagery across rather than like a message because I, I, I just simply because I, I just don't feel like I can, you know, get my words out right for what I want to say sometimes. So sometimes just kind of thinking about the place where something happened, I'd rather just put that in the song than what actually happened. Cause I can't think of a, you know, a, a kind of a, a metaphor for that moment or something like that. So do you think of that place when you're recording? Yeah, so yeah, I I, I suppose when I'm doing the uh, the like the vocal take, I'm um, I'm kind of yeah, like zoning into what I'm thinking about, you know, what that song is to me sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I whenever I come to do a, a vocal take, I definitely kind of get more in the zone than if I'm doing a a guitar take to me is like, I don't know, just something really mechanical you know you just need it needs to be this and needs to be that and then with the vocal it's it's just kind of like how i'm feeling you know just kind of expressive whereas with anything else i'm recording i i'm trying to you know be as precise as i can and then yeah with singing i'm just sort of I i feel like i'd get a better listenable vocal take if it had um you know, uh, if it was believable um, and emotive, then then just, like, all the notes are, are correct.
0: Yeah, the guitar, so the guitar tends to be more technical and the vocal tends to be more emotional.
3: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely not technical guitar parts, but I'm, de- I'm like, I'm trying to be... In terms of getting the notes. Yeah, I'm trying to be precise with it, whereas with the singing, uh, I'm just more focused on being in the... Well, ex- expressing myself, and so you know, there'll be a few like flat notes and stuff, but, but yeah, if it sounded like real phony, but it was perfectly in key, I'd, I'd probably not, not be really be that happy with it.
0: For the other two of you, then what point in the process is the most emotional?
1: When we, when we all hit a point in the song that's been arranged in a way that, that's, I don't know, like a, a crescendo in a part of a song or something. And when we just something as simple as us all hitting it at the same time, it just feels great. You know, you've got a good takedown and, at that point when you finish and you, you all look at each other, you know you've got the takedown. That's that's a good feeling.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. And for me, it's more so um, putting these little melodic parts on the, the Mellotron and the organ and stuff, you know, because um, I get to sort of sit down there for a while and think of something. And I don't know, I think it's the sound of the Mellotron is just so beautiful that, like, even that, even just playing those notes to the song, um, in the studio yeah I guess that's kind of you know quite emotional
0: can that sometimes pose a difficulty when you're writing though if everything you play on it sounds beautiful
2: uh yeah but I mean I don't know I've always been all right with melodies I've always been okay with writing melodies so it's never something too it's not too much of a hard task for me to write something on them and most of the time because the Mellotron how you play them is sort of single note I mean you can play you can obviously play multiple notes on there but like you play. You can just play single notes. It sounds so nice. And I, I ne- I'd sort of hold myself back from playing more notes and just sort of keeping it simple. And you know, finding the 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 be- like the really nice notes within there.
0: Do the melodies differ depending on the instrument you're writing on?
2: Yeah, yeah. A- actually, that's true. I mean, I I have a, at home. I have like a it's a electric piano, but it has like a few other settings. You know, like organ sounds and stuff. You know, I'll write it there. But when when I'm at the studio and say I'm on the Mellotron, I'll always find another note that sounds better just because, you know, I'm playing it on the actual Mellotron. Those things are just so nice. I just wish I could afford one. But I think they're like, I don't know, probably like... Way too much Way money. too much, yeah. They're thousands of pounds, so... But yeah, I'd love one. I would really would.
1: Did you used to
0: have a church organ, Christian, at one point?
3: I had a uh, harmonium, which was a, like a pump organ. I've had a few. with uh, well, this charity shop that me and Mark used to go to. They, they do you remember, Mark? There was always organs in there.
2: Yeah, there'd always be like two or three organs. All of a sudden, there was just that that harmonium was in there, and it was like a you know nice wooden harmonium, and it was just like it, we just had to have it. Do you remember, like, uh, and we yeah, because they course. have
3: like the the drawers on them. You know, you pull it out to to get different tones and stuff like a like a church organ would have, and and you definitely got sort of. You know, that that kind of sound with it. Yeah, that was it. I mean, yeah, it was a shame because I, I had to move out of that house and the um, thing was so heavy. I, I think my uncle took it and used it for wood. <laughs> But
2: oh, yeah, it, was like, it, was such, it was such nice wood that he took it apart yeah no it, it was
3: it's one of those things you know i feel like at one point in time every single instrument was like beautifully crafted you know with all these like carvings in it and stuff and it was just like nothing you know just you know it's just another instrument but you know you look at it today and they're just so much detail went into it um it was weird actually uh, these friends uh, we met in canada that uh, that um, they're in a band. They had done, made a trip to England, I think, to you know see the sights and everything. And and they came to Peterborough, and and I can't remember exactly where it was now, but the where that harmonium was made was exactly where they were from. Some some kind of little town somewhere in um. I'm gonna say Van, yes, I'm gonna say Vancouver, but I'm probably wrong. I'm sorry, Shade.
1: I think it's Toronto, but then I Toronto, yeah, that. yeah,
3: it was pretty, it was somewhere there. But yeah, the the where it had been made was exactly where they were from, which was kind of strange. But we used that a lot in the Mark and Christian band. I don't know if we ever used it in the Witches.
1: Probably, it's probably on the um, home recording. Surely. Oh gosh,
3: yeah, everything's on that.
2: Well, just saying that though, it, none of that stuff is actually out there. So like, don't try and go looking for that organ sound <laughs> in any of this <laughs> stuff. Yeah. That's on a tape somewhere, like in Christian's house.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Speaking of um, Canada there in Vancouver, was that where you had
1: your run in with Nardwar? No, that was at South by Southwest, (laughs) Um, 2013 or 14. A wee while back. Yeah, a long time ago. We were in this um, bar that we were playing the next day and it was really busy. And I, I just saw him over there on his own. On his own. Yeah, just on his own, with like bags. I guess he had records or stuff in his bags. And I tapped Christian on the shoulder and I said, "Look, it's fucking Nardwa. And we were like, "Oh, we gotta go and say hello." And he was really
3: cool. Yeah, we were like, "Oh, are you gonna interview us?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, "Nope, <laughs> he didn't." <laughs>
1: He followed us on Twitter, but that was it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> was he in character? or was, what's he? he?
1: Not initially, no. But then he kind of like livened up and did his whole like thing like, with the with the fingers and
2: you know. <laughs> <laughs> the fingers. <laughs>
1: he waves his fingers around and stuff. That must be so tiring
0: knowing, knowing that if any one person bumps into you, taps on the shoulder, you've got to turn into this terrible <laughs> you know, person. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: I know. Yeah, it's true. Or well, you're just going to disappoint people, you know. Yeah, got to keep the mistake going.
1: I'm, I'm surprised though. I told so many people about it when I got home and they were like, Who? And I was like, What? You don't know who Nardware is.
2: Yeah, it's weird. That type of know. person, isn't it? A lot, a lot it? of people don't know, weirdly. I guess they do now because he's like interviewed loads of like big rappers.
0: I guess when was that? You said 2013, 2014. I think it was 13. Because it was only really when YouTube kind of came out that he. And when was YouTube like 2006 or something? Maybe he hadn't kind of fully hit his. Strike oh, yeah. in terms of Oh no it was traction. fourteen,
1: sorry, two thousand fourteen. Oh well that's pretty, yeah. I don't know. Spe- speaking of
0: um the kind of analogue side to things as well, the studio that you recorded in was it's kinda of quite sixties styled sixties styled and stuff, isn't it? Kind of mm. with all the kind of old analogue gear and things or
1: Yeah. Um they actually stopped doing analogue for a while. Which is one of the main reasons we didn't go back there for this last record. Um I don't know the whole story on that, but I think they, they do I think the story was that he does the first ever digital recorder, which is kind of bizarre.
3: I'm not sure if it's like it's. I think it's called an Atari Radar, and it's yeah, it's like a digital console thing.
1: What? Inter-
0: you mean the first like digital thing that came out is what he now uses? I'm
3: not sure if it was like the first thing. I know it, it might was, not be the first. One. Yeah, I know it's like an early an early thing, but yeah, we we're still sort of set on doing it on tape. I suppose, you know, we didn't have, like, the greatest budget to just try things out. And if they didn't work, then we'll go somewhere else. So we just kind of wanted to go with something we knew would would work. And we had been to um, Luke's studio. Because Luke, uh, we met him in Torag. That's where he was working. And I think over the years, he just sort of built up his own studio. Yeah, the, we, so we went to him to do it on a similar machine that they used to use in Torag, a studio. 16 track machine, but yeah, it's all it's all old old stuff in there as well, in his studio. A lot of old gear. The tape you recorded onto been like recorded onto before as well, hadn't it? Yeah, that that kind of blew my mind because I'm really into tape recording, and I always just assumed that you know you can't really use the same tape that many times. Well, obviously you can, but I suppose I thought in like a studio environment. But then again, he's you know it's all coming through such you know beautiful gear that. It'd be hard to make it sound bad, I suppose. But yeah, it was definitely not new tape, which was interesting to me.
0: Have you still got the tapes from your recording sessions
3: or are they they locked up in a vault? We don't know where our first album tape is. No one knows where it is. I was
0: meaning the the new one.
3: Yeah, that's it. I think the new one, I I think he's probably recorded over it now. (laughs) No, (laughs) I I think he actually said he... I think he said he might have he might just keep that one. I don't know, but
1: it'd be nice if he kept that.
3: I've got the two reels from our second album, but I think we kind of ditched the tape on the second album. But then our first one, we don't know where that is.
1: Maybe if if that was a thing like going over the tapes, if that was a thing even back then, maybe maybe that did get taped over by Toe Rag.
3: Yeah, probably. Although
1: didn't didn't we have to buy those tapes or heavenly bought them?
3: Yeah, I think so. You, maybe that. They, maybe they've got it. Yeah, they probably do. I have a CD of of the first thing we recorded in Torag because they were bouncing the stuff to CD, and it's all scratched up now though. <laughs> well, when was the last time you listened to that? I tried listening to it recently because I found it, and it just was skipping all over the place.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember when the the second album test pressing was. Um Christian bought it round to listen to on one of my vinyl players that I had in uh in my older shed, which again was a you know like a decked out shed, <laughs> and uh, it sat in there for like a whole year, just like in a corner, you know, just. I think that was the first album. Oh shit! Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, I just wasn't looking <laughs> looking after it. Or I think there was like things propped on it and everything, like.
3: Yeah, we used to be uh, real. Uh, we used to be really careless with everything. And these days, I'm like. Boxing everything away once I'm done. Back then, I was just like putting, I don't know, leaning drinks on my guitar and just, just <laughs> <laughs>
1: coffee rings <laughs> on the CDs.
3: Yeah, eating or, eating lunch on my snare drum and uh, you know just <laughs> just. But yeah, these yeah we used to be a bit kind of careless with things. Well, I definitely did. My uncle used to lend me loads of um, instruments, and and they would come back to him in like. In pieces, and I don't know what was wrong with me back then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you um just have a like reel to reel for demos as well?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I I've got a I got a a reel to reel. I I record everything on it just because you can. It could be a usable thing, um, because the you know the quality is really good on a it's like half inch tape, and the, the quality is good. So you know if if you're putting down a demo, but it sounded like it could could have been the actual take or whatever then you can kind of keep adding to it so yeah i try and use the reel-to-reel just for everything i'm recording now and since the rag thing i've just been recording over the tape and not really thinking much of it (laughs) at what point during
0: the making of this new record do you feel like you kind of gained a full grasp and understanding of the soundscape of the album itself, and did the demos play any role
3: in kind of speeding that process up? I can't, I think we we always knew that we wanted to do something kind of more stripped back with less layers and stuff like that. I think we always knew we, we were going to go in and do something like that. You know, if someone had something to add, we'd try it out, and then if it, w- it wasn't necessary, then we wouldn't use it. But I don't actually think that that happened. I think everything we overdubbed. Kind of worked and, and we added, but we knew not to crowd the songs, so we were kind of going going in it with that intention of of kind of leaving space and stuff like that.
0: What was the first song you finished once you were in there um cowboy, once you finished that, how does that impact what you do afterwards Do you kind of have a clearer focus in terms of tackling than other ones, or why was that the first one you finished? Was there any particular
1: reason for that? I think it was like the most rehearsed one yeah and it was going down like onto the tape really easily and it, everything just felt good. And maybe that pushed us to get that one finished first. I don't know.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I remember that was the first one because me and Dan went in um, for, what was it, like two or three days and just did yeah. bass and drums on um, just as many as we, as we could. And yeah, we did a few bass and drum tracks and then went straight to, Overdubbing cowboy and and it was it was just sounding really pleasant to us, you know, like
1: because we'd heard it like so many times on like rough phone recordings in the rehearsal room and things like that. So to hear it coming through like the studio speakers was
3: great. Yes, it's it's, it kind of gave me that because I remember the first time we sort of listened to anything we did in in an actual recording studio and. I remember feeling really excited about it. And I, I did get that a bit with Cowboy. So maybe that was why we decided to just sort of finish that one off before we moved on to anything. And then I think the second one was Love You'll Never Know. It's an interesting one to finish second because that's something that,
0: similar to the final track on the album, is kind of taking in both the softer and the heavier side of it. That's like Cowboy tends to kind of, I guess Cowboy's kind of middle ground a little bit, isn't it? It kind of falls between the two.
3: Yeah. I, I, same with Love You Never Know. That was one we had, we been pl- we played that live a few times and um i feel like that might have been the first one that we could all just play from start to finish and and it sounded pretty yeah you know pretty um you know realized i guess we were sort of really familiar with with those two more so than the rest of them i think so i think when i came back after all the stuff was done to do vocals i i, I chose to do them two first just because I I knew maybe I was a bit more familiar with them and and it would just be quicker to put them down and then spent more time on the others like Meet Chuck, I I, I really all, all everything to do with the vocal that was like a real struggle and I had to come back like loads of times to do the vocal for that and then I think after another track you know because we never got the right vocal for it and then I think Luke was like oh you now that you're kind of warmed up would we'll try meet chuck again and then i i did it there but that one took forever to do vocals probably the heaviest you get on the record yeah yeah i think that's why it took forever because i was started to choke on my own tongue (laughs) (laughs) do you almost need a bit of momentum
0: already in the process to then broach those songs that are at the extremes of either side of the soundscape
3: yeah i I think um because that of one everyone's friend that um yeah, you know, that was fairly easy to do because it's just shouting, and then I think because I'd been shouting for for a little while, I was kind of warmed up to do um, to do that one. So yeah, I I'd, because I'd, cause, Meat Chucks, it's like shout shouted, but it's also I don't know, like there's some attempt to like be in some kind of key as well. Whereas with the uh, everyone's friend, that one's just sort of you know just shouting however you want, and then. I think just after getting that momentum and kind of overcoming that sort of initial embarrassment of just kind of randomly screaming with headphones on, it, it it's sort of it's never come natural to me to record in, in a in like a you know when you just record in the vocal. I always used to have to like hold a guitar or pretend that I was playing something to to do it. Um. So, it has always it has always been a bit of like a uncomfortable experience especially when you're screaming and shouting because then you just feel like the the biggest weirdo ever
0: (laughs) (laughs) so not not even necessarily like playing the guitar even just kind of yeah yeah just just trying just
3: holding it uh, because you know you you know you'd start picking up the sound of like strings and stuff so you just have to kind of pretend you're holding it (laughs) i mean pretend you're playing it i was actually holding a guitar (laughs) did you not
1: get asked to mime guitar on x-factor once
3: Wait, you did Dan, didn't
1: you? <laughs> no, no, no. You you made that up because um, we were doing this what? radar piece for the NME, <laughs> oh, <dude. laughs> and they said like they wanted an interesting fact, and and you just said that <laughs> it wasn't true.
3: <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> no, wasn't it Izzy? Izzy? Um, oh yeah, did Izzy that. did that. Yeah. yeah. So Izzy, think-
1: do you know the band Black Honey? Oh, I interviewed Izzy a few months ago. Oh yeah, so she did that. She actually did that. She was on it. I'm going to ask her about that. If she yeah, back yeah. To the podcast. Do. <laughs> 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 she would love to tell you about that. It's on YouTube as well. That it was with that Owen Owen Quinn guy, <laughs> the, the little, little Irish, um,
2: guy. Uh, Irish guy, Irish oh, guy. He was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> if
1: you remember him, no, Well, he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he was little.
3: So <laughs> it <he> was just. <laughs> Just retrashing this Irish guy.
1: (laughs) No, no. no.
2: (laughs) Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.